it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from uh, Midtown Manhattan, but heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Carly Shimkus at the bottom of the hour bring us perspective and news like no other. And Brett Velikovich has spent the last, I think, 40 days in uh, Ukraine uh, on the, in the front lines, helping out, getting aid. And also, uh, we're going to get the details. He just got back to Georgia. He's going to be joining us. He provided a lot of footage, as you know, that Brett made a lot of his uh, had a lot of experience with drones, uh, Hellfire missiles, and now they got these switchblade drones. And there are some issues about those drones getting to the people that need them after we give them to Ukraine. Are they getting into the country? Let's find out uh, in a matter of moments, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. My fellow New Yorkers, we got it. It said to New Yorkers. We want to protect the people of this city and apprehend those who believe they can bring terror to everyday New Yorkers. Yep. Uh, smirking subway shooter. That's how I look at him. If you see his uh, ugly face on the front page of the New York Post, phones himself in and is arrested and his past, uh, past is rich with criminal activity and conduct on, on, and his online presence all but telegraphed this attack. He said he's about to erupt. What we know about and what we should have known about this assassin, Frank James. Number two. It was unclear for a while um, from their side whether they wanted additional helicopters. We have provided them helicopters in the past. uh, And today they made clear they wanted them in. So we said, great, there are helicopters in the package. Uh, Great. How would you like a helicopter? I'll just put a little bow on top, right on the propeller. Uh, Epic battle looms with Russia's ships now explodes. I'm not kidding. Uh, as Ukraine gets a shipment of U.S. and U.K. weapons, which I hope could bring the Russians, the Russian bear down, we will have the latest, especially from the ugly battles in Mariupol. Number one. If you look at every major issue in front of this country, everything is worse than it was when Joe Biden took over. They don't want people hearing the reality that on every issue, immigration, the economy, our national security, our standing in the world, we are substantially worse off today than we were of January of last year when Joe Biden took over. Yeah, thanks, Vladimir Putin. Biden tanking from his utter collapse of the border to the support of woke policies of education, energy, and economics. Americans of almost all backgrounds, parties, and ethnicities have seen enough and had enough of this administration. We'll examine the problems and how to fix them. First of all, I'll just give you an idea. You know when I bring up Quinnipiac polls, they usually lean left. For example, if they had Donald Trump at 37 percent, he's really at 39 percent or 40 or 41 percent. So when I tell you that, know that they want Joe Biden to do well or they just sample more left-leaning people. That's the way it works. 1,412 adults around the country. Quinnipiac poll. Who approves of Joe Biden? 33 percent. That is epically terrible. I mean, Donald Trump going through two impeachments didn't have that. 
76% of Democrats approve of him, 26% of independents, 3% 3 of Republicans disapprove. Uh, The disapproval, 12% of Democrats disapprove, 56% of independents, and 94% of Republicans. That is absolutely terrible. So let's break down on Hispanics. Uh, Hispanic approval, this is alarming if you are a Democrat, 26% approval. White approval, 31%. Black approval, 63%. Down from maybe 90%. Kamala Harris, even though they say Fox polls, uh, these weren't up to the standard of Fox polls, 35% of Californians, where she was a senator and attorney general, approve of her. That's from Berkeley. That's how bad it is. And believe me, this isn't, we don't, we're not getting the messaging out. I got to do a better job communicating my success. We're seeing it. We're seeing it with inflation. We're seeing it with Afghanistan. We are seeing it with oil. We're seeing it with gas. We're seeing it at the border. Marco Rubio, about, I know you heard a lot of it. Here's the rest of it. Cut one. If you look at every major issue in front of this country, everything is worse than it was when Joe Biden took over. Everything is worse than it was. This movement from the left, uh, they know they can't win the election on these issues. They're, 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 what they're trying to do is raise you know, tens of millions of dollars to destroy people, lie to them. Obviously, they'll have a lot of help from the mainstream media. They don't want people hearing the reality that on every issue, immigration, the economy, our national security, our standing in the world, we are substantially worse off today than we were in January of last year when Joe Biden took over on everything. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the border crisis, I mean, this is just someone took the hand off the wheel and they wonder why they keep hitting poles and crashing into pools. Because you can't even say it's a bad policy. Mayorkas goes down there and does nothing. There's no legitimate pressure on Mexico to enforce their southern border. So you know what Governor uh, Abbott is doing in Texas? And people are upset about it. I'm not. He wants to alarm our normal border crossings where we exchange, you know, thanks to the USMCA and others. We got great trade with uh, Canada and Mexico and Central and South America. We have slowed down all trucks coming in as we check to make sure there's no fentanyl, illegal immigrants, and it's slowing down the whole process. It's going to hurt the supply chain. All true. But if you're the governor of Texas and you watch 1.1 million illegals come through, let alone the getaways, the fentanyl pouring through, and you tell the federal government to do their job and you have to use your money because they won't with Texas Rangers and your own National Guard, and they're complaining because in the middle of nowhere, it's very depressing. They're building their own wall. This is what you do. Here's Newt Gingrich. Cut two. Well, you have a combination of big government socialism and uh, a kind of woke, really sort of secular religion. And the problem that that Biden has is that he can't break loose from it. I mean, you know, I know, most people in the country know, there are ways to solve these problems that make life better for America and that make America a stronger country. All of those solutions just drive the, the big government socialist and the left's crazy. And so Biden sits there and does more of what doesn't work and then tries to blame Putin or somebody, the big corporations. I mean, there's always somebody else. There is. I mean, uh, the Putin price hike, we're not buying that yet. Did it affect it? Uh, affect price of grain? Absolutely. Does it affect the price of oil? Just a little bit. I mean, a couple, of, maybe a quarter. All right. It's, it's not really affecting us that much. It affects Europe, but they haven't gotten fully off natural gas and oil. So they haven't done it yet. 
And if you listen to Nikki Haley, former U.S. ambassador to U.N., they think we should be pressuring Germany to drop it today because they're giving a billion dollars to Russia and they're funding their war machine. And I'll talk more about that. I don't want to take too much time. We're going to talk about war in, in a second with Brett Velikovich fresh off appearing there. Uh, but I just want to talk a little bit more about the border. So people get mad at Greg Abbott. Beto O'Rourke is weighing in, saying these stunts are hurting the country, not helping. Beto O'Rourke trying to sound like a moderate now. Remember him running for president, telling everybody, I would take down the wall. I want everybody to come in to our country, really just release, get rid of all your guns in Texas. They think we forgot about that. So Beto O'Rourke is dissing himself from uh, President Biden whenever he can and his border policies. But nobody should believe that. You're not talking about 10 years ago where someone, yeah, when I was a kid. No, it was two years ago when you ran for president and failed epically. The only people, person who failed worse was Kamala Harris. You were saying all these things about getting rid of guns and getting rid of the wall. Mark Kelly, you've been invisible. But in Arizona, it is chaos at the border. Now you're down there in Douglas, Arizona yesterday, your fifth trip, you said, to the border. And you said we can have Title 42 evaporate that allows uh, an emergency medical situation us to turn around certain people unless it's a, unless they hit other criteria. No one's buying it. Listen to Senator Hassan. They know how unpopular the Biden policy is at the border. Senator Hassan in New Hampshire, also unpopular. If, in fact, if Governor Sununu ran, she would definitely lose. Now she's saying, I want President Biden to finish the wall. Really? Now you want him to finish the walls? Senator Sinema, you've been fantastic. You're leading this legislation. I'm all for it. And what about this? And I haven't brought this up on TV yet either. Congressman Cuellar, we find out he's under investigation by the FBI. He has a primary coming up, and he's in a runoff for that seat. Turns out the FBI yesterday said, oh, we're investigating people around Cuellar, not him. He's not the subject of the investigation. You think that's politics? Get rid of the moderate who's critical of President Biden? Who's at the border city, a moderate Democrat? I think so. Uh, when we come back, Brett Velikovich joins us, uh, and we tell him about how John— I just brought his name up to John Kirby, the spokesperson for the Pentagon. Their reaction, their interaction, and then Brett's retort in a moment. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I don't know who's saying they aren't getting it. I mean, we, we talked to Minister. Yeah, we talked to Minister. Last half hour, he just left over there. He says he's sitting with these guys, and they're not getting the stuff the that we're getting. Drones. We even get, he says the, the hundred switchblade uh, drones have so not arrived in Ukraine batch. yet. Okay. From the first batch. Okay. Okay. So a couple of thoughts here. We've talked to Minister Reznikov many times, the Minister of Defense. He has assured us that that stuff is appreciated and it is getting into the field. The other thing, guys, you got to remember, we're getting the things into Ukraine, but the Ukrainians are responsible, as rightly they should be, for the movement of that material to the front lines. We're not controlling that, and we're not telling them where to send it or how fast to get it to them or what unit needs it more, they have to make those assessments. It's their responsibility.
Was that a good enough answer? Carly Shimka is kind enough to come in early. She wanted to talk to Brett and talk a little Russia-Ukraine. Hey, Carly. Hey, good so, morning. So he Brett Felikovich came up, joins us on Fox and Friends. Then I talked to John. We talked to John Kirby. Yeah. Now let's bring Brett back. Oh, great. Hey, hey Brett. Brett. Uh, welcome to Georgia. Welcome back to Georgia. How many days were yeah. you over there in uh, Ukraine? Hey, folks. My two favorite people in the room. Appreciate appreciate you. Um, I was there for about six weeks, um, and I'm, I'm already ready to go back. I miss it already. So what do, what do you think about Admiral Kirby's explanation? I mean, they just they don't know what's going on on the ground. It's just the reality of it. They they don't have U.S. embassy people inside. Um, that's the truth. They're sitting in Poland. They're great great Americans. Don't get me wrong. They want to to support it, but the truth is they they don't have eyes on this stuff when it when it actually goes in. So what's happening is um, the stuff that actually is getting in. It's going to the highest levels, and you know, in the ministries, the generals. A lot of that stuff isn't getting filtered down. And all you have to do is really just look at. Um, you know, some of these like checkpoints around the capital and you see uh, places where, um, you know, guys have great kit, great tactical gear. But as you get further and further east, these dudes have they've got like nothing. I mean, I've been dealing with a, a unit that was I mean, they're on the front lines of this battle. I mean, it's like this, these small groups versus almost like the entire Russian army. And they have like one tourniquet for 20 of their guys. I mean, these are these are the guys holding the gate right now into Europe. This is the front line right now. And these are the ones that aren't getting it. So there is a disconnect between it, um, where it's where it's coming in and it actually getting into the hands of the people that need it. And I honestly, I think Kirby should be directing where it goes. This is U.S. money. He should be saying where it goes. It, it's not enough to just say hey, here's some aid coming in, do what you want with it. I mean, the, the, the fact is they need to say exactly where it needs to go because they have intelligence information that um, can tell them where the, the battles are going on. Yeah, I think this is such an important topic because um, we're talking about so much money and so much aid that is going to uh, fight a war that is critically important. And then when you hear something like what you're experiencing, it's so discouraging to you know look at the lists of weapons that President Biden is finally approving. And I really do think that um, he does deserve some credit for, you know, continuing uh, to give money and uh, provide more weapons to Ticking Ukraine. and screaming. Yeah. Well, but this, you know, this 800 million is is another good sign in that there are helicopters and it is great. But then when you hear, Brett, what you're saying, it's discouraging. So what do yeah. you think? Um, you know, I know that you say that John Kirby should be directing where it's going, but would that really help just, you know, him just sort of giving the order? Because it really depends on getting the Ukrainian soldiers on the ground to get the weapons into the right spots. And I don't understand. I don't really know how the U S can be more proactive in, in doing this. It's like, okay, so, so, so Carly, thanks to you and, and the team at Fox, because we've received hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical aid that goes to a logistics hub that I was helping manage in parts of the country. And then we would have literally people pick it up and they would go to the front lines. And guess what? These military commanders, I, I ask for physical proof. Give me videos. Give me photos. The stuff I'm sending you guys and, and some of the rest of the Fox team of, of people on the front lines with with videos of the you know medical kits we sent them, videos of drones. That's because I've asked for confirmed proof it's getting there. And that you know I'm not, Kirby doesn't need to be the one to do it, but you know himself. But there's mm-hmm. plenty of people that are sitting in Poland that have the ability to direct this this stuff to the right place. We have to answer to this money. This is taxpayer dollars. It's not good enough to go to some minister who is going to use it for you know political clout and not get it down to the guys fighting right now. I mean, the people on the front lines, they are saying this is the largest battle that Europe has ever seen in the last 80 
right and it's about to happen so brett so let's think about the set the battle in the east Mm. so we know the russians want to get the ukrainians out into an open field and they want that and they've got they they think they have their better forces in the east ukraine must if i know that they must know that so how does ukraine take on a more of a pitched battle with that not in an urban environment with the russians well, tactically, they're just so much more proficient. I mean, one Ukrainian tactically is worth at least 10, 10 Russians, and that's why you see that in the number numbers of, of killed. The fact is Ukrainians are fighting for their lives. They're defending their country. Imagine being able to defend your home. Um, you're going to know a bit more about the surrounding area than the the invaders coming in that, that don't have that much information. And so tactically, they're winning. The other thing is they're not – the Russians are out there in these big, massive tanks, these big, massive vehicles. Um, a lot of times they can't even pass certain areas because it's very difficult to, to get around bridges and, and some of these other locations that are impassable because mud is just – it's just such a difficult terrain. The Ukrainians are out there you know, uh, walking around the woods or they're driving their own personal vehicles. You'd be surprised how many, how many Ukrainian commanders I met that – we're stuffing the back of their vehicles with medical aid, and in the back of it, they've got AK-47 ammo and javelin missiles, and they are physically, the second they get the aid, they are driving as far as they can to the front lines. That's, that's what it's like. It's not, it's not like this big military-to-military conflict. It's almost uh, you know, there, you know, certain times in history where you would think that they are less equipped. They're actually winning the war. They're, they're, they're winning tactically because of that. But the fact is the Russians have greater air, uh, air power. They have um, this ability to just send these massive barrages of artillery strikes. Look at Mariupol. They are wiping it off the face of the earth. Nearly 90 percent of the infrastructure there is is damaged. Over 40 percent is completely destroyed. You've got 160,000 residents that are trapped. They've got no electricity, no medicine, no food or water. The Russians are just demoralizing the population. They just literally appointed a random new mayor, a pro-Russian guy, to, to serve as the mayor there when there's already a Ukrainian mayor still there in hiding. Like, it's... It's just it's terrible what's going on there. But tactically, I think the Ukrainians are very strong. You should see what they're doing with drones. It's so impressive. We're, I'm learning personally so much about what they're doing um, in the heat of the battle and how they can get around these artillery strikes. Drones have become a major contributor to this fight on both sides. They use these small handheld drones um, in a, uh, to basically relay the geo-coordinates of Russian troop, Russian equipment back to Ukrainian uh, military that have these Turkish made TV2 drones that are then striking these locations. It, it's so valuable. And th- this is how valuable the, dr- the drones are as well. They got these DGI drones out there, right? These are Chinese drones. The Chinese, it's known that they sold the algorithms to the Russians that allow, uh, with a system called Aeroscope, that allows the Russians to determine where the operator of the drone is located and where the drone is located. When they fly these DGI drones, they're only able to get them up for five to seven minutes at a time before a Russian artillery round comes back in the other direction where this drone is, and yet they're still using them. Wow. They're still using them, knowing hey, that artillery is, is, is being directed back on where these drones are flying. Glad you're back. Glad you do what you do. And thanks so much for keeping us up to date. We'll talk to you again. See you, right, Brett. God bless. Carly, I booked you for two spots. Oh. Maybe even three. I'll Maybe. continue. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. When it comes to mask mandates, um, they're there because people just aren't great people. Um, and that, that's just the bottom line. Americans just aren't, aren't great to each other. We just aren't. And so when it comes to things like flying, yeah, you know, the, the mask mandate is supposed to be lifted April 18th. I don't want to get on a plane with super spreaders. I don't want to get on a plane with 214 other people that are going to be breathing on me with their COVID breath. I don't want it. Yeah. I don't want it. I, I want the mask. I think that we relied upon personal responsibility and people were irresponsible leading to the mandates, right? We, yeah. we want people to be better than they are. And, and that's just the bottom line. We cannot necessarily rely on, on people to protect their fellow man. So that's Sonny Hostin of a show you don't listen to. It's called The View. Carly Shimkus is here. Carly, COVID-19 back, the subvariant of a subvariant, which gives you maybe a cold. You don't even know you have it. Most people asymptomatic. Now they say since it's coming back, hospitalizations are way down, so are deaths. But cases are up. Since it's back, Philadelphia said mask up, and they also said extend the mask mandate for transportation, airlines, and trains. Um, I want to slam my head into something after listening to that clip Is from that the person nuts? from The View. First of all, this and this has nothing to do with COVID, but... I mean, what a pessim- what an unbelievably pessimistic outlook on Americans and yep. humanity when she said that Americans aren't good to each other. We cover stories all the time about how incredible America is and how good we are to one another and how we have each other's backs. That is America, not what she was just talking about. And then when it comes to the mask mandate on flights, are you kidding me? Does the Biden does President Biden want his approval rating to go down even lower? Is that what he, is he trying to find the floor? Is, is that what this is? This is in. This is insane. And then you have all of these airlines writing the administration saying, hello, we have the air filtration systems. You're not catching COVID on a plane. And if you do, and it's the Omicron variant, it's a cold. Right. Eric, do you remember uh, when Joe Biden was vice president and he's trying to calm everybody from flying on planes? And he said, yeah, the problem with planes, if you sneeze in the front, it goes all the way to the back. If you find- <laughs> We used to play that all the time. Uh, and yes, he was supposed to go on the morning shows and calm everybody down. Uh, but here, here are some travels. When word got out, they're extending another three oh. weeks. Cut 30. Yeah, I think that it's okay. I mean, we need to protect ourselves and protect the community. So it's, it's smart to do it. Why not? I think extra protection is always good. You never know what may happen. You know, everything is not lifted. So better to be safe than sorry. I prefer probably not to wear a mask, but it's not a big deal to me. It's just it's too much. We need to change it, you know. If you are vaccinated and you are mm, healthy, I think it's okay. Don't wear it. It's inconvenient. It's, it's kind of here now, isn't it? It's like a cold, so it's, um, I feel like I can't breathe in them. It's just pain. But I can see people who get who want to wear it who are worried, so I think it should be down to choice. But in London... We don't have to wear masks. No, because <laughs> Boris Johnson her, got in trouble. I love her voice. Right. <laughs> it's her voice. Great voice. Yeah. Right. Um, but Boris Johnson got in trouble for having did. parties during COVID when he locked down his whole country. Now. Oops. Yeah, why are you finding the president? It's right know. and wrong. I don't really. I don't know a lot about British politics. I'm gonna have, but a, I big, that was I'm gonna have a keg party. I'll pay the fine. <laughs> Georgia cover. I know. Yeah. I. I mean. I think that people just get annoyed with the um, the flights with the mat. For I don't like it because I like to wear glasses on a plane, and you can't wear glasses and a mask you need at glasses? the same time. I do. Yeah. Well, I wear contacts. Typically. Oh, really? Mm-hmm, I did yeah. not know that about you. Well, now you know. Wow. For distance or for? Distance, yes, Is that too yes. personal? No, no, not, per- not you personal Not You could get enough. laser surgery then. 
I, I'm afraid to do that. Why? However, well, it's just because somebody would be cutting into my eye. Oh, I did that. D- it's did you do it? for me, yeah. Oh, Why don't you wow. ask? I would have told you. Well, I did it live on camera. Do you know what I've thought about before? Um, is that I, I am, like, if I ever get into a situation like Tom Hanks did in that movie where he was stranded on the desert island. Yes. Um, you would do it then. I would be toast. Because I would only have one, uh, my, I wear dailies, so I'd only have one day, and then I wouldn't be able to see anything. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing at far. Like, how yeah. bad are you? So if I get into a survival scenario, um, I would be dead. But I think even if I had good vision, I would probably die anyway first. Like, if there's one of those movies where it's one of those survival zombie movies, I'm not making it past the opening credits. Why? Don't you? Yeah, do you, I just I would just give myself up. You would. I would die. just say to the zombies, "You just take me." No, see, I think I I characterize you as somewhat brave. Is, really? Wrong? Thank you. I'm just um, I don't know. I I mean, I guess I'm not a, a wimp in spirit, but in body, I don't have a lot of strength in the arms. You, but you have great reach. I do have good. So you could jab that monster away. Yes. Yeah, but you've. Is it right to say that you I, have very long? I arms. have very very long arms. Yes. yes. Um, I do. So I could, you know, jab a monster from far. But right. if the sword is heavy, I don't know if I'd be able to lift right. it. Right. Someone else should be lifting yes. your sword. Yeah. Uh, that goes out saying. Now, um, here's Andrea Mitchell on the whole Dr. Fauci question to Dr. Fauci. She wants more restrictions. Listen to this woman. Cut thirty one. Why only 15 days? Well, I think, uh, Angie, because it's a moving target and we really want to see what the pattern is here in the United States. I think making a decision for April 18th, uh, I would agree that we really do need more time. Listen to how he makes decisions. He's like, I agree. We need need time to evaluate. I guess we need more time. Well, I just couldn't get past. Did he call her Angie? Yes. Is that like a – I, I, I honestly couldn't even hear what he said after that because I was just focused on the fact that he gave her a nickname. Hey, Pete, could you find out if that's her nickname? Because it sounds like they know each other. Or, or maybe Or he did just he just forget what show he's the, on? At least he didn't call her, like, Dottie or anything. You know, right, that would have been a mistake. See, and could that be Shaw, Andrea? Yeah, I, yeah, you, Angie's short for Andrea. Angie? I call Todd Pyro Toddy, but that's because I, he's my co-anchor, so that's a little different. I think it's a little different because her husband – is Alan Greenspan, mm-hmm. and uh, they're basically the same age. So she likes that age bracket. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Okay, so but back to the point of why you played that clip. Um, it's I, the Washington Insider thing. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be. But I remember um, a couple press conferences ago, COVID came up. I think it was because of this ma- mask mandate thing, and every single question was pressing Jen Psaki on why they weren't doing more. <laughs> and I was just like, can you people shut up? It's I mean, amazing. But I think this, these questions from the media may be one of the things that, that are driving these decisions. Because they, they're only get it's like an echo chamber. They're only getting questions in one direction from a group of people that, you know, they're in the media. They don't represent all of America. So maybe the administration says, listen, I mean, there's going to be a lot of outcry when if we lift the mandate because of, you know, we're getting all these questions. Let's extend it. 15 more days they're extending it. So in 15 more days, is COVID now gone? I mean, what? When does the cutoff? Uh, no, no. I don't. I'm not I don't, doing I don't, it. I don't By get the way, it. I'm on the train every day. Never wear a mask. Uh, every day. Long Island Railroad. Every day. I haven't been asked in two months. Really? Yeah. And I wouldn't even do it. I'm like, I just look at them because I have my ear, I have AirPods in. So even if I have nothing in, does, I'll pretend they, I, I just look scared. at them. I just give it to them. Yeah. And number two is I get in the subway. Uh, everyone usually wears masks, but I'm not. I'm not wearing a mask. Yet. You, you have done. to wear a mask on the subway. Supposed to, yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, clearly, no one's checking the, down there. But that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, that's the least of the problems. Not only did the shooter open up fire, he wasn't wearing a mask at the time. Actually, he no, was. No, he was, yeah. He was wearing a gas mask. Can, yeah. That, you know what I... Um, Can we talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so it took 29 hours to get him, but he called himself in to I Crime know. Stoppers. Well, here's the thing about that, is I was wondering. I was just... No one has the explanation yet, because how could you? Only he knows. But I was wondering if he called Crime Stoppers to throw police off... Because he said, I'm at the McDonald's, and then he left. Is that his conspiracy? By the way, Is that weird? That's the worst plan ever. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, obviously. Yeah. I mean, he's dropping credit cards, he's dropping <laughs> keys. Listen, I, don't, I, I can't, you know, Coy, I'll go along with your theory, but there's. There's nothing. I'm just, cu- I'm just curious. I'm just wondering. It's like, I have I'm- an idea. I'll call myself in, but I'll really surprise the cops by not waiting. That is the craziest I'm just wondering out ever. loud. <laughs> Gee, you'd be the worst mystery writer ever. I have an idea. I'll have a criminal go on the lam, call in to Crime Stoppers, and then go wow. five blocks okay, away. Okay, well, I'm glad that I didn't ask that question on air today because I was <laughs> going to. <laughs> Were you really? Yeah. Is that a mystery? Well, he left. I mean, he called himself into the McDonald's and then left. So I was right. wondering if he was trying to. The other thing that, um, wow, boy, did the um, police, and this is it, this is no one's fault, but this is the problem of giving out some of the initial eyewitness, this is what the guy looks like, is they said he was 5'5", five, five, 170. So he Are is like 300 me? pounds. Yeah, he's a and very five, fat five. man. Yeah, he's like six foot. So, I mean, if I wonder if people saw that guy and had i mean what can you do you can't it, that's nobody's fault because you know you're, you're the police are getting that information from eyewitnesses and it's during a shooting with you know gas and smoke in the air but i i have to wonder if they had just released a picture without that description maybe if he would have been apprehended sooner well, the other thing God is uh, be on the lookout. That bolo, be on the lookout. Those be, bolo, you have to tell me the color of the person's skin. I know. I'm trying to be sensitive, but if you want me to find somebody, uh, number one, it was bad. Five five one seventy. He ends up being five uh, six foot and maybe three hundred and twenty pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not going to help. And you got to tell me if he's black, white, or Hispanic. I know. And you got to tell me and he's a man not, or woman. No, it's not. It, it is. By no means anywhere close to racist, and you know that that's why they left it out of all of the reporting. Which is a joke. If you read any of the reports, it, they, they, they said he was wearing a vest, uh, that he was 5'5", 170. Obviously, he could have taken the vest off, and they right. completely left out his race. And that was one of the, that's, the, that's the first thing that the NYPD police, the police commissioner said, gave his race and yeah. the height, and, because it's just facts. It's nothing else. Well, does it bother you with this, the police force that we have? Evidently, uh, one of the cops used the wrong frequency. Uh, that's why he, and then he had to have someone call 911. Yeah. Number two is he evidently does the shooting with this bag. He looks like he's a city worker. He's got a gym bag with him. Gym bag's got an axe, smoke alarms, uh, smoke bombs. Mm-hmm. He's got other fireworks and a Glock. And backup magazines. So it could have been so much worse. I know. He could have wiped out everyone in that car because they were waiting outside the stop for five minutes. Then I, he gets out, walks right across to the other one, and nobody stops him. So there's no not one eyewitness mm-hmm. could say, grab that guy. Or just, you know, you, you tackle him like Lawrence Taylor or a strip stack, knocking the gun out of his hand. I know. I, I mean, I just chalk that all up to chaos. I mean, he created absolute chaos and panic. Imagine if he didn't lose his license and the keys to his U-Haul. I mean, what? An, How would we ever found God him? Thank God he's an idiot. Um, uh, and, and the other thing that is, by the grace of God, j- just he sprays 33 bullets in a subway car that's 
completely closed hits 10 people in locations that aren't fatal. I mean, what are the odds of that? I know. And then it's gun jammed. Yeah. How big, how great is that? Mm-hmm. So I want you to hear. The other thing is if you listen to his screeds on YouTube, mm. he hates white people. Can't believe Justice Jackson married a white guy. Uh, says I'm about to blow and I'm, I'm about to lose it. Talked about his mental health and going after to try to kill Eric Adams, too, who, by the way, isn't uh, isn't white. Here's Chris Swecker, former assistant FBI director. Cut 16. We've been hearing about right-wing extremism, white supremacist. It's as if domestic terrorism only exists from the right side of the political spectrum. When it comes from the left side, it seems to be ignored. You take over city blocks, you shoot each other in uh, artisan non-federal buildings, courthouses, you know, just general lawlessness. So I've I've been waiting to see if there's some parity on both sides. I mean, domestic terrorism exists Terrorism ideology exists on both sides of the political aisle. I've been saying that over and over again. I would love to see the media not dance around this topic for once and and just go right at it. This guy was full of hate. He's the very definition of a terrorist. Who are your thoughts on that? Well, I think he's absolutely right. And now there are um, a lot of people who are saying, even I think Eric Adams said that YouTube should have flagged these posts Um, The one thing that I have to say about that is um, I think that in order for YouTube to flag a post, somebody needs to report it, and you don't know. I mean, this guy could have just been screaming into the ether. You don't know how many many views he was getting on his his videos. So it it could be out there, hindsight being 2020, you look at that and go, how how could YouTube not flag it? I think that in order for that to happen, somebody needs to report it. I I don't know. I I just don't don't know if that's... I believe that there are some hot buttons that terrorist uh, units use, FBI use, to see... Uh, they did a lot with Al Qaeda because they had certain yeah, words. I mean, birthday. Anything, was he saying anything to rise to that level? I mean, people say hateful things on social media all the I time. I think he's ready to blow and commit violence. And he dreams of killing people. Okay, all right, yeah, That's you're right. Good point. Good point. But I want you to hear this: Mayor Adams ripped to anti-cop BLM hypocrites yesterday. Adams slammed BLM and uh, the other police activists, anti-police activists, after a night of bloodshed across the city. "Quote: We're all where are all these Black Lives Matter people?" Do an analysis of who was killed or shot last night. I was up all night with my commanders. Three people were killed. At least 13 others were wounded in a series of shootings that rocked parts of the Bronx and Brooklyn late Tuesday, early Wednesday. The fatalities included a 23-year-old woman and two men, 22 and 21, all killed in separate Bronx shootings. At least five other shootings were there. Uh, all these people were black. The lives of these black children are, and, and that are dying every day matters. We can't be hypocrites. So if Black Lives Matter wants to have impact, you come out led there. And that's a black mayor saying it. That's what needs to happen. Yeah, Yeah, I still have – I still hold out hope for Eric Adams. He's fighting an uphill battle though because there are a lot of people in New York City that don't agree with him when it comes to the the bail reform laws that he wants to change. What he wants better to do, for yeah, the bill. well, yeah, for the better. What he wants to do is, you know, if somebody gets um, if somebody gets uh, arrested for a misdemeanor, a judge just says, okay, that's a misdemeanor, you're right. out. No, you know, you're not going to jail. You're not going to be held on bail. But not looking at their criminal record. So he wants to change that. Yeah, and a lot of things with juveniles. And also, uh, you got to be able to put people in jail and leave it, give, give the judges some discretion. When we come back, Kali Shimkus continues to, to ask questions, and I provide the answers. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen... 
The more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. There is a hunger for, I think, in America more than anything, is common sense. Yes. The uh, Away from the extremes, I mean, when people say to me, you know, you're, don't you think you've gotten more conservative? No, I haven't. The left has gotten goofier. I'm always saying to the Democrats, just don't be the party of no common sense. And you will be surprised at how much amazing <laughs> success you will have yeah. as opposed to what's going to have happen, which is they're going to get their ass kicked in November. That is Bill Maher, still a liberal. And, and Kari, I, I know we're speaking, I'm speaking to the choir now, but that's exactly it. You still know he doesn't like Bush. You'd still know he doesn't like Trump. But he's just a normal person. Yeah. He doesn't hate the country. No, exactly. Um, he and Joe Rogan are cut really from the same cloth because yeah. I, you forget that Joe Rogan endorsed Bernie Sanders. Um, oh, he did? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, he did. It was kind of a big deal um, when oh, he did so it. that's so dumb. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, he had Bernie Sanders on a show, and I think he got wrapped up in uh, whatever he was saying about universal health care and I, I don't know, but um, I, I would. I think Joe Rogan is still somebody who is getting more and more conservative by the day, for sure. I mean, you moved to Texas for obvious reasons, and he's sort of seeing the light. But um, both of them are, you know, I think initially were Democrats. Are you know, obviously Bill Maher still is, but he's just saying what so many people are feeling, and it's so refreshing to hear. And he's doing the Democratic Party a service. You know, by saying, listen, don't be they don't stop want part doing of all of this virtue signal, woke, woke you know, Latinx no, type m- stuff. No men or women. I know. And I the mean, stuff that's going on in schools is what I was I was telling you about this before. I went on a, a trip with my college girlfriends this past weekend. All of them are moms. Um, and it is the first thing they want to talk about was what's going on in schools because they all have, you know, first graders, kindergartners. And they're like, do we pull our kids from school? It's unbelievable. So. Right. You know, parents speaking out's a big deal. Fox and Friends first. Get up early with Please Carly Chimkiss at 4 to 6. And then Fox and Friends 6 to 9. Yes. And then she'll do five other shows. Yeah, as will you. Right. I'm just trying to keep up. Right. You're setting a fast pace. Well, you, you're right there with me. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. 48th and 6th is where we're found in Midtown Manhattan, where no subway is safe and no street is secure. And that's pretty much how we've been living since the pandemic started. Uh, excuse me. Since Bear de Blasio took over for eight years and then left Eric Adams a mess. Uh, so we do find we did find the killer. So uh, the shooter, I should say. We, so there's a huge manhunt that came to a close. How it was done, uh, we'll get to. This hour, we're going to be joined by Janice Jeans. Dean's going to join us in studio, as well as Mark Keeson standing by, uh, Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. My fellow New Yorkers, we got it. It's said to New Yorkers. We want to protect the people of this city and apprehend those who believe they can bring terror to everyday New Yorkers. Uh, There you go. Uh, Mayor Adams, you got him. The smirking subway shooter phones himself in and is arrested and his his past is rich with criminal conduct. And this online presence also reveals that this was all but projected by him and YouTube. But YouTube never took him down. 
Number two. It was unclear for a while um, from their side whether they wanted additional helicopters. We have provided them helicopters in the past, uh, and today they made clear they wanted them in, so we said, great, there are helicopters in the package. All right, there's helicopters. Let's hope it gets there. Epic battle looms as Russia's ships explodes as Ukrainians get a shipment of U.S. and U.K. weapons, which I hope could bring the Russian bear down to size. We'll have the latest. Number one. If you look at every major issue in front of this country, everything is worse than it was when Joe Biden took over. They don't want people hearing the reality that on every issue, immigration, the economy, our national security, our standing in the world, we are substantially worse off today than we were <laughs> in of January of last year when Joe Biden took over. Senator, you're taking me down. The Biden tanking from his utter collapse of the border to the support of woke policies of education, energy, and the economy. Americans of almost all backgrounds, parties, and ethnicities have seen enough and have had enough of this administration. We'll examine the problems and how to fix them with Mark Thiessen, former uh, speechwriter for President Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. Mark, first off, on the news, it's kind of new. It's breaking today, this morning, that upon further review, Elon Musk decided, instead of being the prominent shareholder, instead of being on the board, I think I'll do a hostile takeover of Twitter where he's going to, it's a huge offer, and he says, and if you don't take my offer, I might divest entirely, which would tank the stock. Pretty cool. <laughs> no wonder the left hates billionaires. Right. <laughs> it's uh, it's amazing. I mean, it's funny. He bought this, he bought the largest, uh, became the largest shareholder, was, in, was about to join the board, and then he realized if you join the board, you can't criticize the company publicly. It's part of like the deal. If you're on the board, you have to talk internally and all the rest of it. So he would have been a minority, the, the largest single shareholder, but a minority voice in, within the company. And he fin- and so he backed off of that. And then he finally just said, you know what? I'm just going to buy the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, they have to. They, they, if, they have no choice, but the, he wants to gut the whole place. He said, by the current business model of Twitter, it's never going to be successful. He already commented yeah. that nobody goes to work. So yeah. uh, so he's going to go gut the place and maybe make it a place that conservatives can go to. What do you think? And the other thing is that uh, he uh, he is the they may not be able to turn him down because they have as a board as a fiduciary responsibility to shareholders. And I think he's offering like a premium on on the current uh, stock price with his with his, with his with his deal. So they may have no choice but to sell it to him. Um, and then, you know, we, we've been talking about for years, people have been talking about we need an alternative to Twitter. We need a conservative alternative to Twitter. We need a free speech alternative to Twitter. No one occurred. No, it didn't occur to anybody to just buy Twitter and turn it into the alternative to Twitter. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it makes it will be the new alternative to Twitter. It's great. So here's what Bill Maher, uh, the logical lefty, said on Joe Rogan's show about this. We live in a different age where Twitter is the market, the public square now. If you deny someone's right to speak on Twitter, you're basically saying you don't have free speech rights. Twitter also said you couldn't, they banned you talking about whether coronavirus came from a lab. And it may well have, and even the Biden administration admits that now. We don't know where coronavirus came from, but there's no reason to think it couldn't have emerged from a lab. They had a lab in Wuhan that was studying coronavirus, and you couldn't even discuss this. That's outrageous. I think think that's what Elon Musk wants to fix at Twitter. And I also think that he, my opinion only, when he he allowed the Ukrainians to use Starlink, to allow the Internet to stay up, them to communicate and and to win the first round in this Russia war with Russia, I think he loved that feeling. I think he loved the feeling of helping the good guys. 
And I think he likes the feeling of restoring free speech to a degree in Twitter. And he's not going to feel the pain, financial pain. He's got the the thing is up and running. It's just not running right. Yeah, no, exactly right. I mean, Elon Musk is going to go down in history as the most transformate one of the most transformational leaders of the early 21st century. I mean, just you know, we're we're just look at the Ukraine conflict, right? And the and we put all these sanctions on Russia. And what does Russia say? We you can no longer use our rockets. <laughs> we and the, you fly blue broomstick to space. And and Elon Musk says, here's my broomstick. It's a, it's a reusable rocket that can land. I mean, it took the private sector to do, to to do this. He's he's going to put people on Mars, and in, and you know, and there'll be free speech on Twitter on Mars and on Earth as well because of him. I mean, it's just he's he's a, he's such an amazing transformational leader, and it just shows the power of the free enterprise system. Only America could produce it. So even though he's born in South Africa, he's 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 uh, he's an American now, and only America only in America could you produce someone like Elon Musk, who is just so so visionary, so transformational, and is going to save free speech in this country. So I, I mean, I don't know how this plays out. I don't have that 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 stock background, but evidently his offer is around uh, his offer is going to be fifty four dollars per share, and that's thirty eight a thirty eight percent premium. Um, yep. And that is affecting everything. Everything's going up now, so it would yep. it would be too very hard to say financially this wouldn't work out for you. So it's yeah. a, you know so this is something That's I they assume they got they got to take it. They got to take it because they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders. If they don't, if they, if they turn it down and their shareholders could make money, then that's unlawful. I mean, so, could Zuckerberg uh, so they, they, come they, they in? And, in could Zuckerberg come in and try to and do a hostile takeover from? From Elon Musk to make sure it continues to be a lefty bastion? <laughs> Anything is possible. We could have a, b- a battle of billionaires. But, I, I, you know, I don't know that I don't know that it's a gr- I don't know. He's not doing it for financial reasons, although, though he probably has to say he is. He's doing it because he's concerned about free speech. And so, you know, how, and there's not a lot of billionaires. The, 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 the universe of billionaires who are willing to put that much money up. For their principles, not because not as a financial investment, but as a but to save the, the public square, are very small. So I don't know that there's anybody who's going to come in and do what he's doing, but we'll see. So let's talk about Ukraine. Um, uh, I don't want to talk about the president of the United States and uh, genocide and this guy's got to go. I just would point this out: the president, just speaking off the cuff, says two things that affect world peace. If Donald Trump had said that, they'd say this goes to show you how ineffective and unworthy he is for the position. You can't just wantonly say genocide. You can't just say he's got to go and overthrow somebody. That's not the way it works. But doesn't seem like anyone has any expectation of Joe Biden doing anything. They're writing today's Washington Post. He's acting emotionally. You can understand that. You know what? I, I, I agree with everything Joe Biden has said on that. I agree that we, there is nothing wrong with what he said about the, 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 that Putin should go. I think every normal person thinks that Putin should go. He didn't mean that we were going to go in and overthrow them. Uh, he's absolutely right that he's a war criminal. He's absolutely right that they're, that it, that it, they're committing genocide. Uh, the problem is not what he's saying. It's what he's doing. They're, they are that they don't have policy. If, they, if, 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 if uh, Ukraine, if what's happening is Ukraine, Ukraine is genocide, then we're not doing enough to stop it. You know, the, the, the Zelensky keeps begging for more weapons, and we're slowly, slowly 
being dragged into providing them. Like yesterday, you know, they said we're going to provide these helicopters, which are, you know, they're, they're transport helicopters that could be used in an attack mode. And then Jen Psaki says we're doing it. And then Jen, Jennifer Griffin on Fox reports, actually, the Pentagon says no. So I don't even know if those helicopters are going. There's a big story in the Wall Street Journal today that we're, we're now going to loosen our – we're issuing new intelligence guidance that allows us to provide targeting information to the Ukrainians. Why is that? Because Why are we doing that six weeks into the war? Because they didn't want to provide the kind of intelligence that could be used for targeting because they thought the Russians would get angry. I mean, this is the, you know, the, the, well, the idea that he keeps making excuses for not doing things is we don't want to start World War III. You know what? Putin doesn't want to start World War III either because he loses. He can't, he can't even can't, beat the Ukraine, let alone beat all beat of NATO. Ukrainians. How is he going to beat NATO? So stop being afraid of Putin. Stop, you know, stop worrying about what Putin's going to do and just do it. The fact that it's great that we're loosening our intelligence restrictions. Why did it take us six weeks to do it? Why are we now just providing helicopters? Maybe, you know, so no, we are. It, I talked to right I talked thing, to John Kirby, said, right said we are we are sending him now. So here is Jen Psaki on the sparring, because I got the same thing that they're no longer sending them because they thought that was a big upgrade. So they're sending armed personnel carriers, 113. They're sending 100 armed personnel, uh, uh, M113 armored personnel carriers and 100 yep. armored personnel carriers, then 11 uh, MI-17 helicopters, 300 switchable blades, 500 javelins, and thousands of anti-armor systems. But what is the deal with these helicopters? Cut six. There has been some reporting that the helicopters were not going to be part of the package, and then they went back into the package. Can you clarify if the call with Zelensky was the uh, item, was, was the thing that put those helicopters back in the package? So uh, so on this, um, I know there's been some different reporting and confusion, so I appreciate you asking. Uh, we are, of course, in constant conversations with the Ukrainians, as is evidenced by this morning and the two-hour call that Chairman Milley and Jake Sullivan had last week and what they need and how we can be helpful. It was unclear for a while um, from their side whether they wanted additional helicopters. We have provided them helicopters in the past, uh, and today they made clear they wanted them in, so we said, great. There are helicopters in the package. Because they had so many helicopters laying around. They were getting in the way. People were bumping into helicopters. So we had to get, get rid of the clutter. So here's the thing. There's, there shouldn't be any confusion about what the Ukrainians want and they, what they don't want. Because the Ukrainians provide us with lists of what they want. They have, they have requests for specific uh, items that they need, specific amounts of the items that they need, that are, the, that are sent to the Pentagon and reviewed by the Department of the, And what we've been doing with these are we say we're going through the list and checking, okay, we can do that. Nope, 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 yes, nope, yes. Just put a, just get a yes stamp and stamp the top of it and send them the friggin' stuff. You know, we're, 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 we are not giving them everything they ask for. We're still, the MiGs are not sent. How can it be that we haven't sent them the MiGs? The, here's what we, we what the Biden administration doesn't seem to understand, or is taking a very long time to to come to the understanding of. The Ukrainians won the Battle of Kiev. We are no longer in the mode of preventing the Russians from taking territory. We should be in the mode of pushing the Russians out of territory that they have taken, and that requires a different strategy. We, we've been wrong. They, this administration has been wrong on this from every front. They thought that he wouldn't invade, so they didn't want to provoke him, so they didn't give him the weapons before the war. Then they thought that the Ukrainians couldn't hold out, so they gave him some weapons, but they slow rolled it. Now the, we know the Ukrainians can win, so arm them to win. It's not hard. When they get the report, you know, they say it's 500, 500 javelins. Zelensky has said, I need 500 javelins a day. A day. That's the disconnect between what we're giving them and what, and what, and what he says he needs. Just get a yes stamp. Stamp them. Every time they send a request, stamp it, 
send it over, backfill our supply, and, and, and keep moving. And let's win this war. Yeah, I, did, I just don't think that we see the urgency, but I think we're gradually getting to see the urgency. But that's uh, the problem. It's How many gradual. Ukrainians are dying? I know. I'm, I mean, Bucha, that didn't have to happen. You know, the, what's happening in, in Mariupol doesn't have to be happening. Give them the weapons. Every, every time they – every minute they spend debating whether they should give them a weapon system, Ukrainians are dying as they're making those decisions. Stop. Give them what they need. So uh, a couple of things. It looks like they're picking up about – they picked up about 11 cities of the Ukrainians that the Russians have been forced out of or just decide to leave. They've seen so much devastation. But now it's time to get to this to the east, and that's going to be the epic battle. But it looks like the Russians are running out of people. And they are asking Belarus to now fight. But the Belarusian army does not want any part of this. This should be fascinating. And lastly, uh, Finland and Sweden put in perspective their applications, which is supposed to be coming now for NATO. Tell everyone what's significant about these two developed nations. Well, they're, they were, they're Western, uh, Western uh, countries that have stayed out of NATO. You know, there used to be the, the phrase in the Cold War was Finlandization. Was Russia's plan was Finlandization, which means neutrality. Finland was part of the West, a bridge between the Soviet Union and Russia, but it was neutral, right? And so they wanted to Finlandize, uh, Finlandize Europe. And instead, what's happened is Finland is now joining NATO and basically they're Ukrainianizing Finland. That's <laughs> what it comes down to. I love the, it. The, the, you, it's, it's, it's the greatest thing. They're, they're, they're strengthening NATO. Everything has backfired on Putin. Right. He, he wanted to push NATO away from his eastern border. Instead, we're moving forces to, into into the eastern European bloc countries. He wanted to weaken NATO. Instead, more countries are joining. He, I mean, he wanted he wanted to divide NATO. Instead, they're more united than ever before. I mean, it, this is let's let the, the ultimate uh, pushback on, on Putin is he needs to leave that country with his tail between his legs. And he's not going to start World War Three. Relax. Stop worrying about what Vladimir Putin's going to do. He doesn't. He doesn't. He he's lost. He's. They committed eighty percent of their military to Ukraine, and they can't win. What, uh, what are we just afraid in, of? Russia is threatening nuclear escalation if Sweden and Finland join NATO. Okay, not Good luck going with that. To, not going to launch a nuclear weapon at us because it's mutually assured destruction. This Vladimir Putin doesn't doesn't want his legacy and history to be of the guy who had Moscow blown up. <laughs> That's not what he wants. Right. He, he the, the judo boy is in trouble. Uh, Mark Thiessen, <laughs> thank you so much. Take care, Brian. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, I'll take your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Unfortunately, you know, we've got this pesky Fourth Amendment thing in the United States. It makes it really difficult. People say hyperbolic things. I listened as you read through that slew of bigoted and, and, and awful um, um, online rantings that this individual had posted. A lot of times it's difficult. You can do a knock and talk. You can interview somebody. You, they can be on your radar, but you can't keep them under perpetual surveillance. And unfortunately, in a country like the United States with 327 million people and only 12,000 FBI agents, it makes it tough to make sure that something like this doesn't happen. And that's what we're talking about this guy, uh, Frank James, who is 
uh, somebody who spends so much of his time uh, in and out of trouble with the law. I mean, serious trouble with the law. And he's online on YouTube, same YouTube that has taken down the president of the United States because I think he incited January 6th, same people that froze his account uh, during the election, are the same people that allowed this to slip through the cracks. Now, I remember with al-Qaeda, they had certain buzzwords, I mean, birthday in Arabic, that they would know that was a code word for attack. Is there code words that say, I want to attack, I hate white people, I want to attack and kill them all, I'm about to snap? Are those the type of things that would jump up in a jumble at would-be cyber experts to stop the next cyber terror attack? I would think that would be the case. But it wasn't the case with this guy because this guy was able to live on social media and then set up a plan. Thankfully, most of it didn't work. Dropped his license, dropped his U-Haul keys. Uh, he was uh, his gun jammed. Thank goodness. And he also dropped his axe. Thank goodness. But people were shot and it could have been a whole lot worse. That's to the subway shooter. That's my two cents. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Day one, we should fire Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. They'll set the example. District attorneys should be enforcing the law. The Manhattan District Attorney on his first day uh, put out a memo saying he wasn't going to enforce laws across the books. Others, he was going to downgrade. We should say on day one, he's fired. That is within the constitutional authority in New York for the governor of the state. Uh, I believe that we should repeal cashless bail. Judges should have discretion to weigh dangerousness and flight risk and pass criminal record and seriousness of the offense on all offenses when setting bail. Uh, But people need to feel safe on our streets and our subways. Uh, People are looking at other states where their money will go further. They'll feel safer. They'll live life freer. So that is uh, Lee Zeldin doing very well in a Republican quest to be the next governor of New York, but he's got to get the nomination first, but it looks like a shoe in But he was on, I think, with Laura last night and was just asked, what would you do different? The problem with everything he said is it's, you know, he's not an, an absolute monarch of New York. He's got to deal with the Senate and the, the assembly in the House uh, in the state, the state assembly, and they want no part of it. They had the mayor go up and ask to change the bail laws. They had the governor do the same thing, and they got they had the police commissioner and these idiots in Albany don't want to change things. Albany's capital of New York. Uh, Janice Dean knows all about this. She's trying to get the, the assembly to be logical, to do a thorough investigation of Governor Cuomo. Mm. And you see the frustration and, and what a mess this state is. I don't know how they get anything done, to be honest with you. Well, they get everything done. We get so left. They right. agree. And I can't believe that Governor Hochul didn't know that was this was going on with her lieutenant governor. She knew there was an investigation. Ryan Benjamin. Yes. She admitted yesterday that she knew there was an investigation when she was putting him in place as lieutenant governor, the guy that would take over for her for whatever reason, if she left or, you know, whatever happened. But to have a guy, I mean, to be a lieutenant governor, you have to go through intense scrutiny. Like they look through everything, taxes, your background, what your husband does, your if your kids are okay. I mean, I can't believe that this guy 
went this far and was on the ballot for November. Right. So a couple of things for people listening around the country, WABC listeners get it. But Brian Benjamin was named lieutenant governor when Governor Hochul was lieutenant governor, got the job when Governor Cuomo left in scandal and shame. And she was his lieutenant governor. Yes. So he wants she she wants to be get to win. So she goes, let me I'm not popular in the city. I'm an upstate uh, uh, politician. So let me pull somebody from the city black. Maybe I'll get the black vote in the city. Mm. Now, upon further review, he's also for defunding the police. Of course. And reimagining the police. And it still was like, really? You're putting someone to reimagine the police in New York when you know the country has changed since the lunacy of 2020? Right. So now we're in 2022. So that was dumb. And not Googling him was dumb. They said, well, <laughs> his problem was he wasn't honest on the background check. That there wasn't the FBI investigation. They were investigating him as she was picking him to be lieutenant governor. I know. Like, is that not a red flag? Is there not other capable people you could put in there? I think what she should do is put Ron Kim in there, Assemblyman Ron Kim, who was one of the only guys who stood up to Andrew Cuomo. I think she would have a chance, but the problem is... Is Ron Kim wants an investigation into the nursing home uh, tragedy, and she doesn't want to have anything to do with that. He's actually because trying to do a good thing. Because it blows up every Democrat, right? Because it blows up every Democrat, not just Cuomo. Oh, I'm sure it does. Is that why? Because why wouldn't she want to come out and, and attack something because it's right? Because Unless nursing she feels homes as though give her millions of dollars for her campaign. That's why. Yeah. So uh, but, it's you know, all entwined, unfortunately. Here's more from Lee Zeldin, who, by the way, sent me something. Have you seen these latest polls? I mean, he's up a point. And uh, just the fact that he's within a point in New York well, look is at, pretty astounding. Look at what's happening in New York. We just had a guy, like, shoot 17 people on the subway. Here's, here's Lee Zeldin. Cut, uh, cut 18. So every day, permanently, people are fleeing New York and they're not looking back. Uh, We need to declare on the first day that parents are back in charge of their kids' education. The attacks on wallets are going to stop. We're going to start safely extracting our own natural resources and approving new pipeline applications and bring the spending under control. That list goes on of stuff to do. So that's why people are leaving. And you can put up all the billboards you want in Florida, come back to New York, but they're not going to. The tax base is going to be fractured. So he's got to go in. He's got to he's got to win. And Governor Hochul's a terrible candidate. She's a terrible speaker. Did you hear her remarks after the shooting when this guy was in the Oh, loose? my gosh. I couldn't believe it. So the, the police chief gets up there and talks about what great. happened. Right? She was great. And then all she was going to talk uh, about what happened with the, the victims, right? The FDNY representation was going to come up and talk about all the people that were injured. Oh, but we have to bring Governor Hochul on first. And instead of addressing the people that were hurt, she talks, about, well, we're taking guns off the street and that's my number one priority. I was like, I'm tired we, of this. Can we just find out how the victims are first before you do a stump speech when like 17 people are injured and there was 33 rounds Fired from this guy who was obviously known by the the police. Yeah, that's a good point. And the other thing is, her speech should have been given to a prison. She's tired of the criminals. And she's, okay, fine. We're not the criminals. This We're is not the, not problem. the time yeah. for you to do a stump speech when New Yorkers are afraid to go on the subways. I would, yeah. I, I actually walked the last two days, and not that it's bad, but usually I'm in a bit of a rush. So I go from 48th and 6th to 34th. 
And what I would do, sometimes I walk to 42nd or the end of the R is below our building, the mm-hmm. same line. Yep. I go, you know what? I probably don't want to deal with this right now. I was listening to somebody on local radio that was talking about how he rides the subway, that line, every single day from Brooklyn. And he can't afford to have a car or pay for Uber. And he's really afraid to go on the subways. This is a big deal. Yeah, subways are very convenient. Even though they bang around because it's the first subway. And if, when you ride it, you feel like you're in the first subway. Like, you know, you, can you get them a little, a little closer to the tracks? Can they do something with the subway system? Meanwhile, they're spending a billion dollars for the Buffalo Bills, upstate New York. How do you feel about that, by the way? $600 million, I, guess, I think yeah. it's more close to a billion dollars. Because uh, the Jets and Giants had to pool resources, and I'm sure they got some s- study that uh, allowed them to get a stadium. And I thought they did a terrible job. So they're out of New York because they couldn't afford to build in New York. Crazy! Mm-hmm. That idiot uh, Sheldon Silver stopped it from being built because Isn't he thought he in it jail. Was, I think he's uh, in and jail. Dolan, you know, and Dolan, yeah, he's he's dead now. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I'm not sorry. Um, so uh, and then uh, the Dolans on Madison Square Garden, right? So they wanted to make sure there was no competition, so they wouldn't let the Jets build in New York. Okay. Uh, how I feel about it? Number one, I would think if there was a revenue share that would benefit the people of Buffalo, which is not, it's not. It's not going it's, to help it's just, them. Just help that just place. Because if you if you can get a piece of parking and you can get a piece yeah. of the revenue on the advertising, mm-hmm. and then you can use that for other events to attract bigger events, and then you layer that out and say, right. listen, how we you know we they need the money now to build it. We don't want them moving. Yeah, uh, I, I could see it, but it doesn't. But you're saying that's not the no, right. it's not the case. It's not going to help Buffalo small businesses at all. And guess whose husband is going to benefit from the concession stands at the Buffalo Stadium, Governor Hochul. Really? There should have been a drum roll. Eric, she gave you a pause. There should have been some type of drum roll. That's okay. Next time. Right. I'll give you like a cue. Right. Well, you should have a cue. My people have fallen asleep and they've gotten too used to me being nice to them. I have to stop being nice to people. Uh, I mean, you give out good bonuses, I hear. Right. Uh, And by the way, uh, up until now, they did not have to clear in their taxes, but now they do. (gasps) Because Because the $600 thing. Right. Yes. Uh, my uh, my base is mostly the IRS, former agents and current agents. So those are most of my listeners. So they're all coming after Eric and Pete. Oh, Eric and Pete. Yeah, you don't know. You don't even know who they are. That's Eric and that's oh, Pete. Oh, hi. Hi, guys. Yeah. You do a great job. Right. While they're in Where's control. the drum roll? Right. We don't have anything. They don't even have to have that. At any moment, uh, Eric, she will pause and expect somebody on a snare drum. It's okay. Drum. I can go like this. You know what we could hire? We also could hire a drummer. And you just, could do that. Because Eric's got Because I hear that plate. your bonuses are quite generous. Fantastic. Oh, good. Wait, let me try it again. Let me try it again. Let me do <laughs> Eric, please try it again. That's too long. Can you, can you put, Eric, can you stop it? Here, now say it again, okay. the whole thing about oh, oh, yeah. guess who benefits. And, and guess who benefits the most from the Buffalo Bills Stadium at the concession stands? Who? Governor Hochul's husband. Oh, you should have waited Oh, you have to, to wait, stop. but it's the longest drum roll of all time. That guy must have I might forearms. fall asleep. Yeah, forearms like, a, like Popeye. All right. Hey, when we when we come, Governor we, Hochul's husband. Right, men no symbol. All right. So, <laughs> hey, when we come back, we find out if Janice needs oh, no. to know more. We need the drum roll again. 
This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. Yeah, Brian Kilmeade. He's got a new show on Saturdays because apparently he's cheaper than infomercials for nonstick pans. That is not true. Chill out, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I actually did not know what 990s were before all of this happened. The accountant handled that. Like, I, I don't know what that is. Um, it, it is such a trip now to hear the word, the, 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 the term 990s. I'm like, Ugh, it's like triggering. And that is the head of BLM who has resigned after buying three mansions, the biggest one in Los Angeles, uh, right in the middle of these horrible white people areas. And she is upset because people want to know where the money's going. Oh she has $60 million left in the bank. Evidently, they made like $80 billion. Nobody's even accounting, and nobody wants to run the organization. Right, Janice Uh Like, if you're a nonprofit, like my sister-in-law has a nonprofit, the Mickey and D Foundation. She goes into yeah. seniors' um, residences and brings presents uh, at Christmas and on, on holidays. You have to behave yourself. You have to show everything. Everything. So why do these people get a pass? I have no idea. Uh, and and you're triggered. She says she gets triggered. Let's wow. find it. This is the same with Al Sharpton. I think he owes two million dollars, millions of dollars in taxes. How the heck does he still exist? They be nice. they have us all in jail. It's the billion dollar question. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. All right, the Dodgers, uh, you love talking baseball. The Dodgers pulled Clayton Kershaw seven innings into a perfect game bid. Who does that? Uh, they lose it. Uh, they lose uh, They lose it. They lose it, uh, the perfect game two batters later. Listen to this. Here's the code, the manager coming in to pull off uh, Clayton Kershaw because they don't want to hurt his arm this early in the season. After 80 pitches, and I felt that the stuff was starting to tick down, talking to Austin and Clayton himself. You know, I think there's a point where you just got to decide. I got to decide um, to what end. I'm as big a fan as anyone uh, and a fan of Clayton, and to see a, a battery of him and Austin throw a perfect game or a no-hitter, I'm all in. But again, to what end or to what cost? Every decision I make is for the best interest of the player, uh, their health, and the ball club. It's never um, be has this ever before been done? I don't think it's been done. Can you look that up? I don't understand what what's the perfect point? game. Yeah, I mean, you're worried about it next season. This is history. Here, here's Clayton Kershaw talking about missing this. You had 80 pitches. I know a lot of the fans wanted to see you finish the game. What was the conversation with Dave Roberts and the ultimate decision to come out? Yeah, it's hard. You know, I feel bad for uh, for Barnsey. You know, Barnsey did such a great job, and it's fun to get to catch one of those. And so I, I wanted to do it with Barnsey. You know, um, it'd be special. But at the end of the day, those are those are individual things. Those are those are selfish goals and. We're trying to win. That's really all we're here for. As much as I would have wanted to do it, I've, I've thrown 75 pitches in a sim game, you know, and I hadn't gone six innings, let alone seven. And sure, I would have loved to do it, but, you know, maybe we get another chance. Who knows? So wrong. Next. Do they still go nine innings in baseball? No, well, pitchers never go anymore. And that is so ridiculous. I mean, it just shows that you're so caught up in your statistics. I mean, you have a chance in a perfect game to make history. Yeah. You don't stop. Very There's sad. no, don't tell me it's 36 degrees. And I, I've won a simulation game where I'm just said, he could finish. He's an adult. You pay him all this money. Yeah. Unbelievable. Next. I miss the Expos. Who does? Yes. Okay, here we go. Dennis Rodman hands $500 to a woman with a disability outside 
of a strip club. He was feeling extra generous outside of the strip club in Florida this week and pulled out a brick of $501 bills and handed it out to a woman with a disability. Well, you got to give him credit. At one point, uh, Dennis Rodman had to say, go up to a teller in a bank and go, listen, you see $500 there? Uh, not 20s. Not fives. I want singles. But you know my question How is... How long do you have to spend in a, in, a, in a strip club to get rid of 500 singles? Obviously, the strip club wasn't that good if he still had money left over. We don't know what he started with, <laughs> right? I mean, he could have had $1,500. Get him on the phone. Don't right. you have on speed dial? So what are we, are we supposed to feel good about that, that he has a big heart? Yes, I think so. Right. So did you, you could actually pay the cover. Maybe the cover was a lot of money. Next. People are fascinated with this story. Johnny Depp's friend and neighbor testified, claiming that Amber Heard, his former wife or girlfriend, uh, wife. had no bruises after the alleged violent incident. So Depp is seeking $50 million in damages after Heard claimed she was a survivor of domestic abuse. He says, I never hit her. Uh, Depp's sister, Christy, took the stand and continued to be cross-examined this morning. Uh, she, he, uh, this artist, Isaac Bruce who lived in the penthouse next door to the former couple, was the next witness to be called by the actor's team. He started by saying that he loved Amber and said they were always loving with each other. So, therefore, hot, not a lot of people saying that he beat her, although some, some person said he hit her with a far phone. I think he cut off one of his fingers at one point. Did you hear that? Do you know anything about this? Yeah, there was like a bloody sever- severed finger in one of the drunken brawls that he was in. Right, he looks like an absolute mess, by the way. I know. I remember, yeah. remember he used to do movies like The Pirates of the Caribbean? He was until they kicked him off. Oh. And evidently, somebody, uh, one of the things that hurt his feelings is when they offered him uh, they offered him some part in Christian Dior. And she says, you're not going to, he goes, you shouldn't do that, you're too fat. <gasps> So, Too fat to him? Right. Oh, no. By the way, I forgot. This Dennis Rodman story. Yes. He apparently gave another $500 to the woman who witnessed the moment where he gave the $500 to the other woman on the, on that, the sidewalk. That diminishes it. So he has another right. $500 in $1 bills. So I so follow Dennis Rodman. If you witness his kindness, you could make $500. Yeah. I used to chase uh, lost pets for extra money. Now I'm going to just follow. What? Is that the, true? The, is always a reward. Um, by the way, just on that story, uh, Amber Heard's claiming that Johnny Depp will accidentally cut off his own finger, not Heard's own finger, as part of an ongoing trial. Uh, Amber says the addictions that led to Johnny Depp to abuse Heard are what led to his demise as an actor as well. So he did damage his career and cut his finger. <laughs> I think he had to go to the hospital to get the finger put, the tip of his finger put back on. Despite Depp's team claiming that Heard cut off his finger with a bottle... Heard says Depp is the one who cut off his own finger. Oh my gosh! So we to could be have continued. Done, right. We could be talking about this like next week and the following week. Hopefully not to be continued. But go ahead, read me the story. Okay, sweet tooth forever. Half of adults eat more candy as adults than they do it as kids. Of course they <laughs> is do. Is that true? I uh, yes. Uh, are you kidding? When it's Halloween or you know it's like Easter coming up, I think I've eaten all the Easter candy already. A new poll of 2,000 Americans reveals that the average person first picked a favorite candy at around the age of 11 and has stuck with it ever since. 52% eat more candy now as an adult than they ever did as kids. Can I give you my theory on this? Okay, go. When you're a kid, you're told put that down. Don't yep. have them much. You can only have one. Mm-hmm. And when you become adult, you realize there's nobody to supervise. You can you. have whatever you, you want. You are living an unsupervised life. You are a kid in, in your own candy unless store. Unless you have a hands-on parent who's a grandma who still <laughs> wants to rule your life, which could lead you to psychological damage. You, you don't like be- Halloween, though. I hate Halloween. 
And I'm not a big Even candy as a guy. kid? I, I liked Halloween for a couple years, and I realized, when am I going to grow up? And when I finally grew up, when they're still celebrating, I'm outraged. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, beautiful Thursday here in New York, 48th and 6th. Uh, and we are uh, enjoying a lot of breaking news. And thankfully, uh, the subway shooter is now under lock and key. He's going to be arraigned sometime today. After 29 hours of a manhunt, he finally picked up the phone, called Crime Stoppers, and wandered around a little, and we caught up with him after he left his McDonald's. I'm not kidding. His background is something we'll discuss. We're also going to talk about what's happening in the media and around the big news today, Elon Musk shocked me a few hours ago, and maybe you, I think you, and said, basically, I'm taking over Twitter. I'm going to pay you more than it's worth because right now I'm not going to stay on the board if you don't let me buy it because the business model's not working, the company's not working, you have no faith in management, and you become a, bar, uh, a, a partisan organization. So he is going to hostily buy Twitter. Could we bring free speech back to social media? Will that follow? We'll talk to that. Uh, talk to Bobby Brack about that. So let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. My fellow New Yorkers, we got it. It said to New Yorkers, we want to protect the people of this city and apprehend those who believe they can bring terror to everyday New Yorkers. That's Mayor Adams, the smirking subway shooter. Phones himself in. We'll tell you about the arrest and how much worse it could have been. Number two. It was unclear for a while um, from their side whether they wanted additional helicopters. We have provided them helicopters in the past. uh, And today they made clear they wanted them in. So we said, great. There are helicopters in the package. Epic battle looms between Russia and Ukraine. As Ukraine gets a shipment of U.S. and U.K. weapons to take out ships, and they hit one of them, the Russians had a big war vessel blown up yesterday. The crew got out, but the ship is up in flames. Number one. If you look at every major issue in front of this country, everything is worse than it was when Joe Biden took over. They don't want people hearing the reality that on every issue, immigration, the economy, our national security, our standing in the world, we are substantially worse off today than we were in of January of last year when Joe Biden took over. Well, that's how Marco Rubio feels, and it's hard to argue, according to the polls. Biden is tanking from his utter collapse of the border to the support of woke policies and education and energy and economy. Americans of almost all backgrounds and parties and ethnicities have seen enough of this administration. And it's pretty clear, I'm 100% right, if you look at the Quinnipiac poll, he's got 33% overall approval. to 12% disapprove of Democrats. of independents disapprove, 94% of Republicans. So on the approval section, you know, you expect Republicans to bail out, but only 3%, 76% of Democrats, that's low, and 26% of independents say he's doing a good job. Maybe it's his organization, maybe it's not. Craig Shirley is an expert on Chiefs of Staff. He's also a, a presidential historian, best-selling author. He's got a brand-new book out called April 1945, The Hinge of History. Craig, welcome back. 
Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. Happy Easter. Uh, same to you. The hinge Thank of history, but you know about presidents and their organization. They might be a great president or an average president. You're only as good as your staff. I get the sense when I see what happened with Afghanistan, when I see what happened with these stops and starts with arming the Ukrainians. Yesterday, the best example, they asked Congress for permission to sell these helicopters. Then they had some, then all of a sudden they pulled the request and now they put it back in. Craig, how is this administration functioning? <laughs> you know, if you, Brian, you, you hit such a key point about presidential staff. Uh, presidential staff reflects the temperament and intelligence of the chief executive. Reagan was uh, was bright and interesting, so he had a bright and interesting staff. J- uh, JFK was bright and interesting, so he had a bright and interesting staff. LBJ was uh, was a thuggish, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, bad guy. Uh, so he he had a thuggish uh, staff. Uh, FDR had a it was a competent, was supremely competent, uh, uh, superb president, and he had a superb staff. Henry Stimson and uh, so many other people. So. And it stands to reason Joe Biden is not a particularly bright uh, person as uh, as a man or as a president. So it stands to reason he has a not very bright uh, uh, staff. Right. And uh, we're at a time now. It's interesting. So you write a book about 1945, The Hinge of History. One thing's pretty consistent. America does not want to get involved in foreign wars. No, and, uh, no. you know, Woodrow Wilson won World War One. Uh, when it won, stayed out of World War One and won election by saying, I will not get you involved in World War One. Which was and, the Great War, and right? Then, and and actually, FDR said the same thing in the 1940 election, and then a year later, we were in a world war. And that's where we're at almost now, uh, because yes. we have no choice. Because America, and being America, I believe has the burden of representing freedom around the world. There is well, no runner-up. No, but the only thing is, is I would say is that uh, with with regard to Ukraine and Russia, we have not been directly attacked, so there's not much of a impetus for for us to get into a, another world war. Whereas we were attacked at Pearl Harbor, we were attacked in Lusitania, although that was much more uh, a thin uh, piece of evidence for a Wilson than it was for uh, Franklin Roosevelt. But we were attacked at Pearl Harbor, and we had to respond in kind. And of course, five days later, we were declared. Uh, Nazi Germany and, and fascist Italy de- declare war on us, so we have to respond in kind. So that's how we really got into a fully involved uh, world war. But that's the last time uh, we're involved in such a uh, in such a uh, case. And we have a modern-day Stalin and Hitler in Vladimir Putin, if you see Absolutely. the damage he's done in the Middle East and, and now in Ukraine, right? Yes, and making war on civilians. Look, uh, before he even got into World War II, and he wouldn't have gotten in had uh, Hitler not foolishly invaded Russia, uh, and they lost uh, millions of lives. But Mussolini had already killed as many as 16 million innocent civilians even before he got into uh, World War II. So, uh, you know, he he was at the murderous thug of civilians. Putin is a murderous thug of civilians. So he's following on. And and, uh, in uh, Uncle Joe's uh, tradition. So when, when you start, so when we see this and we say re- history repeats itself, how many more people do you think uh, have to perish in horrific ways before we are compelled to do anything, or are we not? Are we uh, just going to let them see it fight out? Like, with six months from now, if they're still fighting, if, if uh, they're still burying babies alive and yeah, gunning down grandmas? It, it, it's such a sub- subjective 
answer. There could be one linchpin that sets up off our uh, more our getting involved. As it is, I think that we should be supporting them militarily as much as we can, humanitarian humanitarian fashion as much as we can, doing everything we can for the freedom fighters in uh, Ukraine. Just as Reagan supported the freedom fighters in Nicaragua and Afghanistan and uh, and Eastern Europe, uh, the Velvet, with the Velvet Revolution in Czechoslovakia and other uh, freedom fighter movements, uh, we should be supporting them as well. But it, if we, to us, get personally involved, put feet on the foot, uh, boots on the ground, I, I think you're going to have to have something that is going to have to spark American outrage that they're going to rise up and say, all right, now's the time. Now, we, we've had enough. Uh, American public right now does not want to get involved in, a, in a, another European war, just as we didn't want to get involved uh, even after uh, Pearl Harbor. For those intervening four or five days, there was no will in this country to get involved in another European war. We are had a bad taste in our mouth because of World War One. In fact, there was a saying going on uh, after World War One around the country that you know all we got was death, debt, and George M. Cohen. Um, and you have to be old like me to appreciate George M. Cohen. But uh, but, but yeah, you do, little dandy. Yes, exactly. Yes, uh, but that was but that was the attitude of the American people, and you can't go to war without the will of the American people. Right, and they gradually, and for the longest time, they wanted out. They eventually got in. So you write, you write 1941, but this follow up in 1945 that really is the hinge of history and sets us up until now. Correct? No yeah. More- oh, yeah. Today is precisely because of April 1945, and I guess that is the the, the big part of the book is that we go off in an d- entirely different direction. Before 1941, we're all isolationists. Democrats, Republicans, the America First movement, we're all isolationists. After 1945, we are all internationalists. We create the United Nations. We implement the Marshall Plan. Uh, we have uh, we have international trade. We have uh, international military, uh, you know, uh, relations. Uh, is that there was one drunk, one uh, one congressman, uh, Republican congressman from Michigan, who was drunk on internationalism. And he proposed an international printing press to create textbooks for the school children of the world so that the school children of Saudi Arabia would read the same thing as the school children of America, forgetting local politics, local custom, local tradition, things like that. But that's how crazy it got at one point with the internationalism. Uh, yeah, a little crazy. Also, when you figure out how we're set up, we made sure that Japan and and Germany this time would not uh, have offensive military capabilities. And, Absolutely. And I think Absolutely. at this I'll point go, we would go one ahead. thing is Japan recently launched a uh, battle a, a aircraft carrier four times larger than the normal sized aircraft carrier, and they named it the Kaga, which is interesting. It tells you the mind of the the, the uh, a peek into the mind of uh, the Japanese is that Kaga was the name of the lead aircraft carrier in their attack on Pearl Harbor, which the Japanese still consider their finest military moment was their attack on Pearl Harbor, even today. Uh, that's nice. Uh, and yes. Yeah, so, uh, and yeah, Germany, for exactly. the first time, says they're going to get more involved, and they're going to start putting 3% of their GDP, I'll believe it when I see it, but 3% of their GDP uh, into defense. 
Yes. We're at the point now in the world where we're urging Japan and Germany to be more uh, aggressive. Can you believe Isn't it? Isn't that interesting? Yes. Is that after World War II, you know, Japan uh, promised to never create a military again. And, of course, Germany, you know, had to feed millions of starving. They didn't have money for a national defense. And besides, they were under four different uh, zones, you know, the American zone, the Soviet zone, the French zone, and the uh, British zone. And, and all of that, all of we, we, it was a stupid way to to implement the uh, occupation and the uh, eventual rebuilding. What we did in Japan under Douglas MacArthur was much more, was much smarter, uh, and for which he deserved the Nobel Peace Prize. He never got it, of course, but he rebuilt Japan into a peaceful, prosperous, uh, democratic society, democratic uh, free market society. Uh, you know, from from being basically, uh, there was no country after uh, World War II. After we bombed them into uh, non-existence, there was no country, and he rebuilt it. And what he did, as a, as the supreme commander of the uh, of the uh, the Far East, was far superior to what Eisenhower did as the supreme commander of Germany. Why? After, why, why do you uh, think MacArthur was just better? Yeah, because it was better. Because it was one man making de- decisions on everything. Whereas uh, with, with what Eisenhower did, not that he wasn't a great man, because he was a great man, but trying to appease the French, trying to appease the Russians, trying to appease the British, you know, it just created a mess. Uh, and, and it really, uh, really uh, retarded Germany's, uh, Germany's comeback and Germany's growth. If uh, FDR doesn't die uh, and Churchill doesn't lose the election, how are things different at Yalta? Oh, wow. What a great question. You know, what's interesting is that uh, there was a poll taken just before uh, FDR passed away. And by the way, people don't realize or forget he was only 63 years old when he passed away. And people grew up thinking they only had three presidents, George Washington, yeah. Abraham Lincoln, and Franklin Roosevelt. I think Roosevelt would have implemented the exact same programs as Truman did uh, as, far as, uh, as far as internationalism, as far as uh, military presence in Germany, as far as military outposts around the, around the world. Uh, he would have continued. He probably would not, you know, uh, Truman uh, helped implement a tax cut which helps stimulate the American economy to keep it from slipping back into a recession or even a depression after World War II. FDR uh, was much more committed uh, ideologue than was Truman, so I'm not sure he would have done so. But there was a poll done of the American people just a few weeks before he passed away, and something like 63% of the American people thought that he should run for president again. Now, this, he's already been a president, you know, for, uh, for 12 years, going on 13 years, you know, before he passed away. And, and the majority of the American people wanted to run again. It was <laughs> unprecedented. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And then after that, they would put a, an amendment in the Constitution that says you can only exactly. go two, two terms. But, exactly. Uh, so why did uh, – lastly, real quick um, – why did we miscarry? Why did we not understand Stalin calling him Uncle Joe? Did we not realize the the depth of his depravity and and bloodthirstiness? He was yes, we did know, but there were there were certain Soviet apologists in the United States. Life magazine and Look magazine were were, were had huge influence on the American culture and people, and they were apologists. They they you know portrayed Russia as a workers' paradise, which was just nonsense. It was complete nonsense. They knew about the millions killed by Stalin. They covered it all up or didn't report it. Hollywood 
produced two movies um, about that time, which were nothing but pans to Russia. One was called Mission to Moscow. The other was called Song of Russia. And they're the most disgusting form of propaganda you ever want to see. There was, in the United States, in the 1930s and 40s, if you called somebody a communist, it was not. It didn't have the same heavy weight that if you called somebody a communist today. Is that if you're a communist, it's, oh, okay, you're, you're for the workers, and you're, uh, you know, you're you're really a blue collar guy, and you're, you know, you're, you're not so bad. You know, you're a little bit wrong on your some of your politics, but I can take that. It, it was is far different then than it is now. Uh, and of course, uh, calling him Uncle Joe was uh, again a, a, a PR ploy that the media used used, you know, the New York Times and others calling him Uncle Joe, trying to soften his image. Uh, so the, the Soviet Union got a far better press in the United States in the 30s and 40s than they did in the uh, 70s and 80s. Got it. Hey, Craig, congratulations on the book. Thank uh, you, Brian. Yeah, go out and uh, go out and pick it up. It is called April 1945, The Hinge of History. Craig Shirley, thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, you very much. You got it. one 408 7669 Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go out to WABC where Alex is listening in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. So I got two points. And the first one is that Governor Kathy Hochul sounded yesterday exactly like Joe Biden did. This does all the time, but the same low tone. And she was also saying she's sick of the crime, like Joe Biden said he's sick of the unvaccinated. She, I don't have to hear her being sick about the, the, the crime. she got to do her job as governor and take care of it. But the other point I wanted to make is that this guy wasn't wearing, was wearing a mask, this, uh, this guy, the shooter, which made it harder to identify him. And I think the, if the Democrats wouldn't have mandated the mask once it was clear that it wasn't working and if they wouldn't have convinced people to wear it like crazy, this guy may, very possibly may have not worn the mask because he wouldn't want to draw attention to himself. It's not suspicious to wear a mask, but it certainly stands out. And he wouldn't want to draw attention that people should look at him and look at his facial expression and or, notice if he had, Alex, that's a good point. Him. I'm so done with the mask. You probably know that. I, they, it's up to you, Alex, in Brooklyn to decide if you want to wear a mask or not. We also know it does almost no good. The other thing I like to add to it, they're going to have random inspections. If they looked in his bag and saw a hatchet and a smoke bomb, he would have gotten nailed right there. And plus, he's dressing up like a worker, but he would have gotten stopped. And that's the question. How much resources do we have? to go to all these subway stations and let people feel as though uh, they're going to get caught if they try to do this again. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The literal interpretation of the American dream is that is it doesn't matter where you were born or how you were born or who you are, that in this country, you can rise up and go beyond that. And it turns out to be a fallacy. There has always been a redistribution of power to the white elite. No, there isn't. John Stewart is off his rocker. No question about it. Then he takes on Andrew Sullivan and very intelligent, uh, happens to be openly gay, uh, conservative columnist. Big critic of Trump. You'd think they'd have some common ground. 
What a disappointment. I thought when, when John Stewart came back and started talking on uh, Stephen Colbert's show about the Wuhan lab, and, and obviously this virus came from the lab, and you see Stephen Colbert recoil because that's not what Joe Biden says and what Democrats think. I thought, man, this guy's going to come back like Bill Moore, but he's not. Bobby Barak knows that. He's a columnist with the Without Kick, commenting on all these things in the TV, uh, in media, and beyond. Bobby, welcome back. Brian, thanks for having me. How you been? Good, good. You point out that John Stewart has gone way woke. Yeah, I find this fascinating because, like you mentioned, John Stewart pretty much went into hiding after 2015. After he left The Daily Show, he was almost unheard of. He just sort of went away, took a break from everything. And we started to hear about him again last summer when he appeared on Stephen Colbert and he talked about how it's very likely that the coronavirus originated from the Wuhan lab. And Brian, I wrote about this at the time. John Stewart got absolutely crushed for that comment by the slate, the CNNs, the NPRs of the world. And I said, I don't think John Stewart knows what he's getting into because the America that he once entertained is no longer the same America. I mean, you can't think independently anymore. And I think what happened is John Stewart got scared when he saw that coverage. He's like, wait a minute. I can't do what I want. Says I can't be like Bill Maher. I have to buy into the group think. I mean, the column I wrote about this is that. I consider Bill Maher, Stephen Colbert, John Stewart some of the most talented people in television ever. But Bill Maher, he sort of looked back and said, hey, the way the Democrat Party's going, the progressive movement, this is normal. This is abnormal behavior. By contrast, Stephen Colbert and John Stewart are sort of going along to get along. They want that protection to fit in those groups. I mean, the stuff they're saying is absolutely insanity. I mean, the way John Stewart covered race, he pretty much said, if you're born white, you're by default racist. You need to prove you're not racist. I know. And he had a panel. I mean, just think of the illogic there to say that, I mean, Brian, five years ago, to be called racist, you had to say or do something racist. Now you have to prove you're not racist because we're just supposed to assume you are racist if you're white. I mean, that's a dangerous thinking that someone like John Stewart is promoting. Absolutely. I want you to hear what Bill Maher said about the left, about Democrats. There is a hunger for, I think, in America more than anything, is common sense. Yes. The... Uh, away from the extremes. I mean, when people say to me, you know, you're, don't you think you've gotten more conservative? No, I haven't. The left has gotten goofier. I'm always saying to the Democrats, just don't be the party of no common sense. And you will be surprised at how much amazing <laughs> success you will have yeah. as opposed to what's going to have happen, which is they're going to get their ass kicked in November. Right. And deservingly so. And that's why he has not changed. America has changed. Isn't that the example you're talking about? Yeah, I will say I disagree with Marr to some degree because he says that he hasn't changed. Well, the thing is, is for four years, he was so obsessed and blinded to covering Donald Trump that he sort of overlooked the insanity of the party that he that he supported for so long. I mean, that's what's going on. If you notice the left started to turn on Bill Maher, and he started to attract a lot of conservatives um, last year, about last January, when Joe Biden took office. That's because Bill Maher didn't start every show out with Donald Trump. Instead, he had to dig deeper, and then he started to look in the mirror and said, wait a minute, this party that I've been protecting for four years, they've gone off the rails. So I think that's what's going on here is that 
he was so distracted by Donald Trump. And without Donald Trump, Bill Maher had to look around. He's like, wait a minute. This is not the same Democratic Party. This defund the police movement is uh, not something that I would support. Um, and I think that that's what's going on with Bill Maher. And he also doesn't really want to open up the whole southern border. It's, it's ridiculous. How could you be for that and be for America? Uh, this is this is what uh, this is what he said about the Wuhan lab. All right. For months, you couldn't even mention it. And it, that is certainly something that was open to question. There was this lab in Wuhan that was studying coronaviruses and somebody could have walked out with it on their shoe. Can't we even look into that? For Twitter to take that off, that to me was a huge red flag. So that's our last point on that. And he said, of course, it's a logical thing. And to start shelving People like, for example, the Durham report got somebody here at Fox mentioned the Durham report shows that Hillary Clinton was complicit uh, in in her version of a um, of a Russian scandal that got somebody here's uh, account suspended on Facebook. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's such an eye opening story what social media has done. If you just go back the past two years, you are not allowed to mention the coincidence that a bat coronavirus originated like 400 yards from a lab that studies bat coronaviruses. If you now, if you say, you know, that Leah Thomas was born a man, they might kick you off. People that True. mentioned the park clear, you know, talked about the hypocrisy and the park clearing story two summers ago. People were suspended for that. Twitter isn't allowing people to speak openly or even give honest opinions. I mean, the highlight of all of this is the Hunter Biden story. And now you have reports saying that one in six Biden voters would have changed their vote had that New York Times, New York Post story not been suppressed about Hunter Biden's laptop. I mean, Twitter and Facebook are complicit and possibly altering an election. So this social media censorship and biases, it's not just, you know, it's not a small thing. It's actually impacting real and Bobby, if, and now think about this, think of how that plays into Elon Musk doing a power play to buy Twitter today. He wants to resource Absolutely. free speech to the platform. He says right now he has no confidence in its management. Therefore, he doesn't want to be an investor. He wants to take it over. That could change everything. And I think Elon Musk is the only person that can change Twitter or change big tech overall. I mean, he's the only one, Brian. I think everybody recognizes that there needs to be an alternative, but it's very hard for these platforms to take off like Parler, Getter, True Social. They're just not working so far. In order to compete, you need a lot of money behind you. And Elon Musk, as last I heard, the richest person in the world, he, he's the one person that can actually save Twitter and actually make it a free speech platform. What I find so interesting about all this is that um, if Elon Musk does this and he's offering Twitter way more than it's worth, now what's the response from the pro-censorship groups? Do they go and create their own alternative Twitter to compete with Elon Musk? It's a fascinating dynamic. Yeah, I just know that. They'll know exactly. If you spin off and try to do your own Twitter, it'll be a left-wing Twitter. They're trying to fix what has a global global brand right now. You know, I don't really watch a lot of the channels, but uh, it's pretty clear that Rachel Maddow outside Fox is the most popular personality, not on Fox. What's going on with her? She signs a big contract and doesn't do her show? Yeah, I don't know if people realize. So the way cable news works is – Fox News dominates like the top 15, and within that top 15, usually in the top four, Rachel Maddow ranks there, and everybody else is just 
totally irrelevant. Rachel Maddow, by by that sense, is one of the most valuable people in cable news. Brian, last year in 2021, she averaged a million viewers more than her lead-in, Chris Haynes, and a million viewers more than Lawrence O'Donnell, who comes on directly after. That suggests that she's worth about an extra million viewers to MSNBC in primetime. We saw that during her hiatus the past few months, MSNBC was down about 700,000 viewers from her average. So she is the only difference maker that they have. Without Rachel Maddow, MSNBC is basically CNN. And as of right now, the plan is for Maddow to only host her show on Mondays. And that's not good enough for MSNBC. They need Rachel Maddow five days a week. They're paying her $30 million and she's going to leave four days a week. And from a lot of the tea leaves we're reading, she might plan to bolt weekdays altogether by the 2022 election. That's devastating for MSNBC because they don't have anyone that can replace her. What about Keith Oberman? Keith Oberman keeps saying, he keeps offering his skills. I love that story. So about a month ago, it, he he emailed the head of NBC Universal in the email leak. Brian, he sent the NBC boss an unsolicited five thousand word email begging for a job, and MSNBC told him no. That's got to be the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen in media. Uh, Bobby Brock with us from Outkick, and he talked about that, and you know he can't get back in. He was. I remember Barack Obama invited him to the White House to explain. <laughs> You know, when he was getting his point five for MSNBC to explain what they were trying to accomplish. But he gets fired from every job and likes to sit on social media and just criticize people. It's nuts. Uh, lastly, just, just to bring uh, this up to the fray, you, you wrote this column about Walmart to pay truckers over $110,000 a year, uh, double their average. They would even train you. Why is that so significant? Yeah, society preaches to middle school and high school students that you have to go to college, you have to go get a bachelor's degree, that if you do that, you're far superior than blue-collar workers. And that's just a lie, Brian. It's just not true. Walmart is going to pay truckers $110,000 a year to deliver packages and freight. The average college student with a four-year degree makes $55,000 a year. So you can make more than double driving trucks. And it's not just truck driving, it's welders, plumbers, carpenters, tile layers. What happened is is that so many people then got these bachelor's degrees and teaching and private equity and banking, and there's just not much of a market for those jobs. In contrast, nobody has the skill to perform these blue-collar jobs anymore, and there's a major market demand. If you learn how to just say fix pipe, you can make six figures tomorrow and get a job anywhere you want because all across the country, people are searching for those skilled blue-collar workers. Mike Rowe, who has a special on Fox Business, he talks about this all the time. These blue-collar jobs are in demand, and younger Americans just don't want to do those jobs anymore. But you can make a lot of money without any indoctrination from college, and most of all, no college debt. I mean, that's a pretty good trade-off, especially if you're not going into something like a STEM program where yep. you're setting yourself up for success. Like, if I was starting over, I would recommend every. I would recommend a lot of people consider learning a trade instead of getting some useless liberal, liberal arts degree. All right, uh, Bob Brock. Thanks so much. It's going to be an exciting time. We'll see what happens. Also, last right. last thing, CNN CNN streaming service, an epic fail so far. 
the guys that are now running CNN are not the guys who 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 financed it and supported it, who came up with it. Do people hold? Are they going to hold on to this? Uh, yeah, my prediction is yes. Yeah, so, in a quick recap, Discovery is taking over control of CNN. They're going to make the decision where CNN Plus was a Jeff Zucker project under the AT&T umbrella. Um, fewer than 10,000 people are watching CNN Plus so far. My prediction is that Discovery will fold CNN Plus into HBO Max and just make it one big bundle. That way they don't have to support CNN as a standalone service. Because think about it. Nobody watches CNN for free as a part of their cable package, who's going to pay extra $60 a year to watch exclusive content from Brian Stelter and uh, <laughs> Rex Chapman and Don Lemon? I mean, no one's going to do that. It, the whole idea was just bizarre in the first place. You don't want Jake Tapper to read you a book in a jean shirt? I mean, and not only that, I hear Don Lemon, he's trying to be Oprah. I, I mean, to me, that might be worth $100 a year, not just $60 a year. <laughs> <laughs> Go get him, Bobby. Appreciate it. Pick up OutKick. Great hey, work. Hey, congrats on the new Saturday show. You're killing it. All right. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, Saturday 8 and 11. Thanks for the plug, Bobby. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I feel I'm the same guy, but five years ago... Uh, you know, we hadn't spent $6 trillion to stay home. I mean, I understand we had to do something with the pandemic. I'm not sure that was, you know, I mean, I remember when a trillion dollars was too much to spend on anything. We didn't spend a trillion to bail out the yeah. economy in 2008. Five years ago, no one was talking about abolishing the police. There was no talk about, uh, you know, pregnant men you know i mean there was looting was still illegal have i changed no because if someone had said 20 years ago i I, i'm not sure looting is a bad thing i would have opposed it then see i so i haven't changed and that's what he said uh not only to joe rogan uh bill maher he said it to adam crowler and these guys disagreed nobody's changed uh, nobody's changed. High taxes, uh, taxing the rich more, uh, state taxes high to get more, you know, universal health care. Those are the old debates. And no one used to get that angry. You know, he did Obamacare the way it was done, the way it was paid for, the way nothing added up. Those were the old debates. These debates now are fundamentally bad country, uh, built on stolen land, uh, built on racism, uh, built on slavery, uh, inserting ourselves where we don't belong imperialistic, all things that are just bastardizations about what our goals, not built on slavery, settled in a land that was vastly, uh, for the most part, was open land. There were constant battles with American Indians. How we got in there, that's something that we could talk about if we lived 400 years ago. But once established, America became the bastion of freedom and worked our way towards a more perfect union. We have chronicled through a civil war. We know about segregation doesn't mean we used to study this stuff, now we vilify ourselves. When we get involved in Vietnam, it wasn't to spread our influence. It was to stop the Russian-Soviet Union totalitarianism from taking over the, south, uh, the southeast of the world. And to fight and push back against uh, Russian domination was something that was looked at in a positive way. 
Now everything is twisted on its head. Now America is bad. And it really started, I believe, in 2008 when Barack Obama, in his brilliant way of speaking and his uh, great presence and uh, his personal story, took all that fame and prestige and, and, and adulation and started apologizing to the world for America. And right away, show vulnerability and weakness. And a lot of our allies got uneasy and a lot of our enemies bulked up. And we have not, we've been trying to get our equilibrium ever since. The Russians and the unsavory activities from the Chinese have helped partisan divisions within our country. And now we have a situation where traditional liberals and traditional libertarians like Rogan and conservatives like Adam Carolla are sitting there going, what the hell happened here? Because I can't even debate what is a man and what is a woman because you're not a biologist. I can't even debate on the idiocy of making sure that gender identity was taught in first, second, and third grade. You know, I can't even debate that uh, on the fact that parents should not have a role in their education. The answer is so easy, it's not worthy of your time. But now if you challenge those easy answers, you're a racist, you're a sexist, you're a homophobe. And what happened is there were so many people canceled through cancel culture that most people are now canceled, and we kind of like being with each other, including Bill Maher and Adam Carolla and Bill Maher and Joe Rogan. Yeah, we don't disagree on anything, but we do agree we love being American, best place to live, want to make it better, different ways to do it. Make sure you make an appointment right now and program your DVR for One Nation. That's at 8 and 11 o'clock Eastern time on Saturday night. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.